As we come together to read the word, guys, um, we've got people from all around the world who are joining us right now in this moment to read the word together simultaneously from different time zones in different places. So even though it's 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, where I, oh, sorry, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, where I am, um, for people who are in different places around the world, some people right now, it's late in the afternoon. Some people, it's early in the, it's earlier in the morning for my West Coast folks. Um, so guys, I want you to just quickly shout out real quick where you're located, um, because it's really cool just for you guys as we read together, the, as we read the word together. It's really cool, guys, for you guys to see how many people from all around the world in different time zones are reading the word simultaneously. Look at that. We got the Philippines in the house. It is 8 p.m. in the Philippines. Uh, we got Chicago in the house. We got Hammond, Indiana. We got Trinidad in the house. We got Jamaica in the house, Georgia in the house, Orlando in the house. We've got North Carolina in the house, Virginia in the house. We've got Ohio. We have Nova Scotia in the house. We got Tampa in the house, Northern Kentucky, Lawton, Oklahoma. We have Jamaica in the house, Iowa in the house, Arizona, Washington, D.C. We have Texas in the house. We got New Jersey, Norway in the house. We have South Africa in the house. Look at that, guys. This is incredible. It's incredible. It's incredible, guys, that we have people from all around the world. We got London, UK in the house. It's 107 there. We got New York, Pittsburgh. We've got people from all over the world right now who are joining us in the reading of the word. And, and that that to me is absolutely exciting. Like that's that's. Nothing brings me more joy. I'm be honest with you. I'm, I, it brings me so much joy because I know the power that reading the word has. And I know the power that reading the word has in transforming the lives of every believer. Um, there are those of you right now who are either doubting or are atheists or are like, okay, what's this thing all about? All it is about is it's about us spending 20 to 30 minutes reading the word and then I'll just spend another 20 to 30 minutes just reflecting on what the word is speaking into. This isn't a Bible study. This is a spiritual, prayerful, meditational activity that we are engaging in together in the reading of the word. I do plan eventually to, to maybe sneak in a weekly Bible study. I've been thinking about that because a lot of you guys have asked me and said, hey, uh, I, I would really love for you to do Bible study. And so I've been thinking about that uh, maybe sneaking in a Bible study in, in probably in one of the afternoons or something like that. So I've been praying about that, but this is more just about us reading the word and just hearing from God, hearing from God in regards to what he has to say concerning this word. Um, and so I, I love it because I, I'm already getting testimony from you guys who have said, Hey, um, pastor Isaac, I've been reading and man, like, Things are actually changing in my heart. Things are actually changing in my life. Things are actually transforming in me. And watch this now. You've been doing the read and rant and you've been engaging in the word, but you haven't necessarily understood everything you've read, <laughs> right? You don't really fully understand and that's okay. Um, you haven't really fully understood. It's probably half the stuff you're reading. You're like, man, this is nuts and this is crazy, but something is changing in you. Right. Something is changing in you. Something is changing in your relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the power of reading the word is it's not just understanding the word, which is what what the Bible study is for, is for us to to increase in our understanding of the word, which is also good, is, is an important activity. But more important than that is to engage in the word as spiritual food. And and so I, and so I hope you guys begin to see this, that this isn't just meant for your understanding. This is meant to create a, a space and a conduit for the Lord to speak through you and to you and to allow the Lord to empower you in becoming who he calls you to be. That's what this is all about. And so um, I love it that you're here and I, and I hope you're beginning to see the transformative power of spending 20 to 30 minutes every weekday, um, every day if you could. But we do it here live on TikTok every weekday and on Facebook every weekday. And if you ever miss it, uh, we're going through the whole Bible. We've already gone through the New Testament. Um, now we're going through the entire Old Testament. 
Um, we're going to read through the entire Old Testament, and then we're just going to go and read through again the entire New Testament. Um, if I can read through the Bible two or three times a year, that's what I do. It's my it's the most important activity that I engage in. And so um, and so, yeah, we're in Genesis 46 today. So if you can turn your Bibles to Genesis 46. Um, and if you ever miss a read and rant, I want to invite you to join our Facebook group. You can catch the read and rants there. It's also a community. There's all kinds of things going on through that group where we share in life and prayer with each other, where we encourage each other. Um, and we also, for those of you who may have missed a reading, can go back and check out a reading and a rant there. And so, um, and it's called the font. Thank you, Chantal. Um, it's the font everywhere. It's the font everywhere on, on our Facebook group. So go ahead and follow us there. Um, so yeah, so let's get to it. Let's get to it. Let's get to the word. Uh, we're going to pray and then we're going to go. <laughs> yeah, coffee with Isaac. I like that. Uh, Father, we thank you. Lord, that you are here. Lord, we're meeting together, Lord, through uh, our uh, digital platforms. And, and Lord, it may not seem like we're we're, we're here together, but we are here together. And you've said it in your word that where two or three are gathered, you are present. And so, Father, we just thank you Lord, that you've brought us together, Lord, to talk about your word, to reflect on your word, to ruminate over your word, to meditate on your word. And Father, I just I just ask that you would um, give us wisdom today and give us insight, Lord. Lord, allow us to see who you are, allow us to see who we ought to be with each other and allow us to see who we ought to be with you in our relationship with you. So Father, convict us where we need conviction, correct us where we need correction, encourage us where we need encouragement. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen. As you read meditationally, I want you asking three questions as you read. These are going to be your three questions. First, what is God revealing concerning himself as you're reading? Second question, what is God revealing concerning people? And the third question is, what is God revealing concerning me? That's what you're going to be asking for yourself. What is God revealing concerning me? So let's go. Let's do it. Genesis 46, it says this. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. So he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt and I will surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. And Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones, and their wives in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Now these were the names of the children of Israel. Jacob and his sons who went to Egypt. Reuben was Jacob's firstborn. The sons of Reuben were Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. The sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the sons of a, the son of a Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, Merari. The sons of Judah were Ur, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah. But Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. The sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. The sons of Issachar were Tola, Puva, Job, and Shimron. The sons of Zebulon were Sered, Elon, and Jalil. These were the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Padanaran with his daughter Dinah. All the persons, his sons and his daughters, were thirty-three. The sons of Gad were Zephion, Hagi, Shuni, Esbon, Eri, Erodi, Areli. The sons of Asher were Jimna, Eshua, Esui, 
Beria, and Sarah, their sister. The sons of Beria were Heber and Malkiel. These were the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter. And these she bore to Jacob, sixteen persons. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, were Joseph and Benjamin. And to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, who Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore to him. The sons of Benjamin were Bela, Becker, Ashbel, Gera, Naaman, Ahi, Rosh, Bupim, Upim, and Ard. These were the sons of Rachel, who were born to Jacob, fourteen persons in all. The son of Dan was Hushim. The son of Naphtali was Jazil, Juni, Jezer, and Shalim. The sons of Bila, whom Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter, and she bore these to Jacob, seven persons in all. All the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt, who came from his body, besides Jacob's sons' wives, were sixty-six persons in all. Sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were seventy. Hmm. Verse 28, Then he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way of Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen, so Jacob, so Joseph <coughs> uh, made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face because you are still alive. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers and those of my father's house who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for, for their congregation has been to feed livestock, and they have brought their flocks, their herds, and all that they have. So it shall be, when Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation that you shall say? Your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth, even till now, both we also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Hmm. Then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers, their flock and their herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan, and indeed they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, We have come to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture to their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. And Joseph brought in his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, How old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are one hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have been <clears throat> the days and the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days and the years of my life of my fathers and the days of their pilgrimage. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from Pharaoh. And Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his, father, his father's household with bread, according to the number in their families. Now, there was no bread in all the land. For the famine was very severe, so the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that he had found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money to Pharaoh's house. 
So when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. Then Joseph said, Give your livestock, and I will give you bread for our livestock, if the money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, and the cattle of the herds, and for the donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for their livestock that year. When that year had ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has our herds of livestock. There is nothing left in the sight of the Lord, of my Lord, but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread. And we, <clears throat> and we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. Then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For every man of the Egyptians sold his field because the famine was severe upon them, so the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he moved them into the cities from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh, and they ate their rations which Pharaoh gave them, therefore they did not sell their lands. Then Pharaoh said to the people, Indeed, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And it shall come to pass in the harvest that you give one-fifth to Pharaoh. Four-fifths shall be your own as a seed for the, for the field and for your food, for those of your households, and as food for your little ones. <clears throat> so they said, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made it law over the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one-fifth, except for the land of the priests only, which did not become Pharaoh's. So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of of Egypt 17 years, so the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph to him. Now, if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. Then he said, Swear to me, and he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. Now it came to pass, after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took him, uh, sorry, and he took with him two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, Look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make you of you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. As Reuben and Sibian, they shall be mine. Your offspring, whom you beget after them, shall be yours. They will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, when I come to Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way when there was <clears throat> but a little distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. And Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, These are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact God 
has also shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them beside his knees, and he bowed down with his face to the earth, and Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand. Then Israel stretched out his hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life, long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named upon them and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand and removed it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall be the multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he said, Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. We'll read this last chapter. Chapter 49. And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall of you in the last days. Gather together and hear you, sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father, Reuben. You are my firstborn. You might end the beginning, sorry, my might end the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. Unstable as water, you shall not excel, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man. And in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. And their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, you are he whom your brother shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies, he lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? A scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of all the people, bringing his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulon shall be, sorry, Zebulon shall be the haven of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall, shall adjoin Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey, lying down between two burdens. He saw that rest was good, and the land was pleasant. Sorry. Hmm. Okay. Um, sorry, I just got a notification that a gas tanker rolled over, <laughs> that a gas tanker just rolled over down the street. Wow, that's, that's, that's crazy. 
Um, I might be stuck here for a while. Um, verse 16, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider shall fall backward. I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. Gad, a troop shall tramp upon him, but he shall triumph at last. Bread from Asher shall be rich, and he shall yield royal dan dantes. Naphtali is a deer let loose. He uses beautiful words. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by the well. His branches run over the wall. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him and hated him, but his bow remained in strength. And the, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From there is the shepherd and the stone of Israel. By the God of your father, who will help you and by the almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breasts of the womb. The blessings of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey and at night he shall divide the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is what their father spoke to them, and he blessed them, and blessed each one according to his own blessing. Then he charged them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the land of Ephron, the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham brought, sorry, which Abraham bought in the field of Ephron the Hittite, as a possession for a burial place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field of the cave that was there was purchased from the sons of Heth. And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Hmm... We're going to, um, I'm going to finish Genesis, y'all. Maybe we have less time ranting, but at least we'll just finish the, the, the book. So let me just finish Genesis 50, and then we'll call it. Um, one more chapter, y'all. <laughs> then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for him, for such are the days required for those who are embalmed. The Egyptians mourned for him seventy days. Now when the days of the mourning were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying in my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. There you shall bury me now, therefore. Please let me go up and bury my father, and I will come back. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh and the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the house of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's house. Only their little ones, their flocks, and their herds they left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both the chariots and the horsemen, and it was very it was a very great gathering. Then they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, and they mourned there with a great and very solemn lamentation. He observed seven days of mourning for his father. And when all the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a deep mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore its name shall be called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond the Jordan. So his sons did <clears throat> for him just as he had commanded them. 
where his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of Mechpelah before Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field uh, from Ephron the Hittite as property for a burial place. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers, and all who went up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, and perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for the, all the evil we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus, shall, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of your servants of God, your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face and said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as to this day to save people, uh, to save many alive. Sorry, to save many people alive. I'll read that one more time. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I'll provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now, Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household. And Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation, the children of Machir the son of Manasseh, who also brought up, who was also brought up on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he, he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. The word of the Lord. I'm so glad you guys are here. Um, I'm so glad you guys are journeying through this. Guys, we have now finished the book of Genesis. We have read through Genesis. Um, and this is why we do this. I want to see every, every believer read through the entire scripture. And if you can do it 20 to 30 minutes every weekday, I'm going to do it with you. That's why I'm here. <laughs> That's why I'm here. Um, I'm glad I can come and rant and share my thoughts with you. But this right here was the most important part of our activity. And you guys should applaud yourself. For those of you who've been committing to this time of reading, applaud yourself. Give yourself a pat. Because you now have read through the entire book of Genesis. Um, tomorrow, we start reading through Exodus. And then we'll read through Numbers, and then we'll read through Deuteronomy, then we'll read through Joshua, then we'll read through Judges, then we'll read through Ruth, then we'll read through First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, then First and Second Chronicles, then Ezra, then Jeremiah, then Esther, then Job, then Psalms, then Proverbs, then Ecclesiastes, then Song of Songs, then Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. You see where I'm going with this. I, I want you to read through the entire Bible because I'm going to tell you something where you actually read through the whole thing. Okay. I hope, wait, I missed, I missed, uh, I think I missed like the last four, four books, but you get the point. Um, the last four books of the old Testament, but you get the point when you read through the whole thing. You're going to begin to see the thread of the gospel all throughout the book. And you're going to see how powerfully God moves through his people, his chosen people, 
and how he did it because he loved his people so much. The reason why God loves us so much, you know, and people always ask that, like, why, why does God love us so much? God loves us so much is because he gave us his DNA. We were made in his image. And because we are made in his image, we are his children. And because we are his children in the same way, a son doesn't need to ask a father why would he give his life for him. The father would just, if his son was in danger, would give his life up for his son because he has, he's my, he's my, he is my continuity. Um, My bloodline, my DNA continues through my sons and my daughter who's on the way. (laughs) And so as parents, it's easy for us to give up our lives for our children because we've already lived it. They have not, and they are the the continuation of us. So it's easy for us to do that. That's why we naturally would give up ourselves for our children in the same way. God is in the business of restoring his children for the very reason that they are his children. No matter how disobedient they are, no matter how much they 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 disobey him and they 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 subvert his authority and they question him and they sin and they commit no matter how much they do that god still is instigating and initiating a plan to restore his children that's what he does that's what he does he does that because he put his dna in us he breathed into man the breath of life and he became a living soul. That's what it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. He became a living soul. He became a living being. So we are the extensions of God on earth. We are the extensions of God on earth. If the Elohim that we talked about were the divine beings spiritually, that act that enacted the authority, the will, and the agenda of God in the spiritual realm, then human beings are the extensions of God, the ambassadors of God on earth to instigate, to initiate, and to enact God's agenda, God's policy on earth. So we are the ones. We are the 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 images of God, imaging God everywhere we go, imaging God in all that we do. Which is why I've said this before, that we don't wait for God to do things. God is doing things through his people. We don't pray to God for God to do something. God is doing it through his people. And even when we disobey him, the story has been, and and as I've been, I've, I've been, I've been sharing with you guys is the story has been consistent all the way through and we're going to be we're going to see this continuity and this consistency in the story which is that God through mankind's disobedience being driven and motivated by the deceiver by the opposer who we call Satan Satan just means opposition that's all it means is opposition um and Satan isn't just a person Satan is a system it is the anti god Satan is the anti-God. The spirit of Satan took over Lucifer. So sometimes we just simply say Lucifer is Satan, but it's the spirit of the anti-God. It's the the anti-God and Satan took on the spirit of the anti-God. He wasn't created that way. He took it on. Sin came into his heart. Poor guy. And so the opposer, the anti-God, we have been seduced by him to be something other than the ambassadors of God. And so in being something other than the ambassadors of God, we saw evil, pestilence, destruction, all these things, right, have transpired as a result of mankind's um, consumption of himself. And so we see God now initiating, we see the whole story in Genesis shift in, in Genesis 11. And in Genesis 15, we see the story shifting from 11 to 15 when he calls Abraham to, to, to start a family. And this family that he's calling Abraham to start 
will do righteousness and justice. That is, that this family is is called to make all things right. I'm just recapping this 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 Genesis because you're going to. I want to set the stage and set the tone uh, for Exodus as we as we begin to read Exodus. Okay, so he's calling them to to uh, to do righteousness, to seek justice, to do righteousness. So this family now is calling to make things right. That God now, through Abraham's faith, is instituting a family who will restore all things back, who will make things new. This bloodline that he's instigating, that he's um, cultivating, that he's uh, preserving, this bloodline that he's preserving, he's, he's, he's doing it to initiate by the way i know as a side note please guys come on friday join us for good friday um i'm gonna teach a little bit about this but it's it's in a more poetic rendition it's more of a spoken word poetic rendition of what i'm saying here but this is the power of the blood that that the life is in the blood and so there's a there's something that god is doing with the blood there's the blood cries out. The blood does things. The blood is active. The blood. And so it's the blood. And so this is God's currency. This is God's currency for restoring all things. This is God's currency for making things new. This is why the blood was important. I'm, I'm, I'm just laying the foundation. I'm setting the stage here. Because what he's doing now is through this bloodline, he's, he's, he's initiating his justice. Through the bloodline, he's initiating his righteousness. It's funny, if I could just rant real quick. It's funny how we have separated justice from righteousness. If justice is justice, it has to coincide with the righteousness of God. As a matter of fact, justice, because it seems right, is not justice. Man does what is right in his own eyes, and in the end, it leads to destruction. So often we create policies to institute justice, but justice isn't justice unless it aligns with the righteousness of God. What makes something right? What makes something wrong? What makes something morally right or what makes something morally wrong? is all dependent on God. Justice is who God is. It is the character of God. So you can't really know justice until you fully know God. So actually bringing about justice is restoring the heart, the identity, and the person of God on earth. That's what justice is. That's what justice is. So sometimes we will equate equality to justice. No. Because if we have equality for equality's sake, that is not justice. That is self-worship. It's why I'm, it's why we have I have a I have an issue with some of the movements right now, especially some of the justice movements or the social justice movements. The social justice movements now are not rooted in a higher morality and in a higher being, or in a higher ideal that is the person of God. But many of these justice movements are rooted really in self-worship and self-glory. So we have all these movements that are happening now, not realizing that these movements are all forms of idolatry. They have remnants of righteousness, but they do not embody the righteousness of God. And so if in the end they do not embody the righteousness of God, it is not justice. As a matter of fact, it is not justice if it doesn't lead people to Christ. And that's the issue. That's the issue today. The issue today is, is that we want, we want, we want justice, but we can't know justice if we don't know God. Okay. What, what makes something right? What makes something wrong? Just because it feels right or it feels wrong, it cannot be right and be wrong. 
Okay. Remember that there were forms of justice generations ago that today we call injustice. So it cannot be based off of our uh, social contract and social agreement of what justice is. It can't be. Because man does what is right in his own eyes and in the end it leads to his destruction. We're seeing this now. This is the temptation of Adam and Eve to be like God, being, um, what's the word I want to use? Um, being seduced into believing that God wasn't enough, that, there, that, that they needed something other than God himself. Okay? And so this is why we see all the evil. All the evil in the world comes out of some form of someone's justice. One calls it injustice. The other one calls it justice. One calls theirs justice and the other one calls it injustice only because we sometimes treat justice as self-survival, as just equality, as just no, because if equality means bringing someone down, it's not equality. It's not justice. And so um, I, I think we have to be very, very careful with that's just a side note with a lot of these uh, social a lot of just general social justice movements because a lot of social justice movements, while they, they have good, I want you to understand this, that there's a, there's a, what, what they're seeking for is good. The end of what they get may not be. Okay. The end of it may not be. Doesn't lead, if it doesn't lead to, we'll, we'll get to that another day. I don't want to get into a full rant on that. Um, because I, want, I really want to dig into what, I, as we close out this chapter, as we close out the book of, of Genesis, I want you to understand that now God is in the business of reinstituting his justice. And he wants to reinstitute his justice. And what he's doing to reinstitute his justice is, is he's calling a family. He's calling a people through this bloodline that he would institute justice. And this family's wrecked up. This family's messed up. This family, yeah, we've read through it. You guys have been reading with me. You know, this family screwed up. <laughs> they sin. They make mistakes. Um, they've got these weird things going on between them. There's just a lot of just stuff that these people are going through and have transpired. And even through all of that, God is still working out his justice through them. I love in, uh, in Genesis 50, when uh, the brothers, now that Israel's gone, Israel dies. And now that Israel's gone, they're wondering whether Joseph's going to kill him. Oh, Israel's gone now. So this might be it for us. This might be it for us. You know, maybe the only thing that kept him from, from destroying us was the fact that this would hurt his father. But now that his father's gone, he would destroy them. Which really speaks into their hearts as well. But that's another conversation for another day. No, I'm going to say something real quick about that. Um, isn't it funny that people... We're asking these three questions. What is God revealing concerning people? What is God revealing concerning himself? What is God revealing concerning me? The one thing I think that's interesting when I read this about what God is revealing concerning people is he's revealing the propensity that people have to filter out what other people do through their own desires. Let me help you understand this. Okay, let me, let me make it clear for you. I find it interesting that often, and I, I want to make sure you guys understand this, that often people will misinterpret your motives because their motives are not pure. People will misinterpret your motives, your heart, and the reasons for why you do the things that you do because they don't have good motives. People will align their motives to your motives. So now when you do something, they want to know, well, why is he doing that? So the, the way that they would interpret or the, the way that they would do what the, the, think of the, if I was in Joseph's shoes, this is what I would do. Therefore, I'm going to presume that this is what Joseph would do. You know, a lot of times the reason why people 
have a hard time um, accepting what it is that you have to share to them is because there's still something broken in their own heart that would that, that doesn't have the propensity that you have to do what you are actually doing. When they see you do something good, they will presume that you have an agenda behind it because deep down in their heart, there is an agenda. So because they have an agenda behind what they do, it couldn't be that you don't have an agenda behind what you're doing. Because <laughs> here's the thing, Simeon knows that if Joseph, if Joseph, it, sorry, Simeon knows if I'm in Joseph's shoes, I kill all of my brothers. So even when you do right and you do good, it may not be received well. Family, even if you do right and you do good, it may not be received well. And you say, well, what can I do? How can I change? The issue is not you in many of those instances. The issue is the person that's receiving it. The issue is the person that's receiving it. If they aren't receiving it with a pure heart, then they won't receive what you have for them in purity. Um, this is for the person who's asking the question, why is it, why is it that even though I'm doing right, this person won't receive it from me because there's still something in their heart that they're still working through. Now, it could be a product of their past. It could be a product, but they've already prejudged the intentions behind what you do. So here's my thing. If you're going to do good, if you're going to do justice, if you're going to do righteousness, you do not do it for a person's acceptance. If you're going to live out your life, you're not going to live it out expecting people are going to receive it well. You live it out knowing that your heavenly father affirms you in what you do. Your conviction should be in the character of God, in relationship with God, not in what well, everybody sees that I do well. More often than not, family, justice and righteousness and doing good is generally not received well. Because generally, righteousness and justice goes against the forces and the powers of the age. So it goes against culture. It goes against society. It goes against ideology. The church is at odds with the world. So when the church is actually the church, yes, righteousness does come out of it. Justice does come out of it. We should not be blind to righteousness. We should not be blind to justice. As a matter of fact, people say, man, you know, I'm not about social justice. I'm just about the Bible. Obviously, you don't know the character of God because God is just. So where there is injustice, we must seek to restore it as agents of God, as the family of God. But this righteousness and justice is affirmed not by people who say you're doing a good work. Remember, that the greatest restoration of justice came when Jesus died on the cross. Jesus paid for the sins of all mankind, establishing his righteousness and his justice as a criminal with a death sentence. Remember that. I think because it's, it's you know, time is, is progressing forward, but when we talk about the great um, fathers of of justice and righteousness today. Um, for example, Reverend Martin Luther King, we talk about the great work that he did to bring equality in the United States. Don't forget Martin Luther King was seen as a social, a political pariah. He was a political dissident. He was not well received until he died. This man was in and out of prison. We talk about, uh, the, the, the great leaders of justice 
around the world and, and in, in, in the history of time, go back and look. Most of them were seen as criminals. Most were seen as enemies against the state. So if you're waiting to do good, or if you're doing good, or if you measure and determine you're doing good by how people will receive it, you're already in trouble. And if it's in general popular, it's probably not justice. <laughs> it's probably not justice. But anyway, this is a side rant. So we see here this family that God is calling to institute justice. And we get to this point and Simeon and, and these brothers, they know now that Israel's gone, Joseph's going to kill us. Oh no, we're dead and gone now because that's what we would do. But that's not what Joseph does. And remember what I told you yesterday, for those of you who were here yesterday, remember what I said to you was the reason why Joseph was able to forgive and to overcome the pain and the hurt that he received from the betrayal of his brothers the way that he overcame that was he became well aware that his pain had a greater purpose. That everything they did was necessary for him to be in the position that he was to bring healing to an entire people. To preserve the bloodline that God is establishing. So he says to them in verse 20, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and he spoke. These were the brothers who sinned against them and now he's comforting them. And he's telling them, Listen, bro, it's going to be all right. I'm not going to kill you. I'm not. I have no, no vengeance against you at all. Because what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. This is how the story, this is to me, this is the. This is the culmination of the story of the family of God. This, these 12 tribes were a broken people, a sinful people, and yet they were still called. They were still called. And yet God was instituting his justice and his grace. Grace started way before Jesus. I hate saying way before Jesus. I hate saying that. Because he always existed. But grace started way before the cross. Grace began from the beginning. From the beginning. From the beginning. Watch this now. Isaac, sorry, uh, Israel prophesies on all the 12 tribes. But then notice, I want you guys to see this. He says to Judah, Judah, you whom uh, you are he. Whom your brother shall praise, your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of all the people, binding his donkey to a vine and his donkey colt to a choice vine. He washed his garments in wine. And his clothes in the blood of grapes. Do you see the imagery there? This was written centuries before the cross. Centuries before the cross. Then he says to Joseph. But his bow remained in strength. And the arms of his hands were made strong. By the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From there is the shepherd the stone of Israel. 
this was planned from the gate. And I want you to know, I want you to see this, that the people knew this. There was a waiting of the scepter. There was a waiting of of the restoring of all things. And they knew that it would come through their bloodline. They knew that it would come from their bloodline. They knew there would be a chosen one, an anointed one. There would be one who would be chosen among them, a shepherd, the stone of Israel, would be chosen among them. When we read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, I want you to read with this mindset that God, that these people, that these people are living in anticipation of one that is to come. (laughs) They're living in anticipation of one that is to come. And notice what kind of people these people are. These, this is a nation, a family of shepherds. And out of this family of shepherds will come a shepherd. Remember, they were put into Goshen and 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 because uh, uh, the Egyptians were contentious against shepherds, they had a thing against shepherds. We read that here. That thing in shepherds, that that they had to present themselves that way, right? And so, and so, this nation of shepherds, out of this nation of shepherds, will come a shepherd. Out of this nation, this bloodline of shepherds, this family of shepherds, will come a shepherd. What am I saying today? What I'm saying to you today is as you read, understand, not only did God plan this from the beginning, but they knew it. This family knew it. They were being told that there's one to come from the beginning, from the beginning. Stay in that tension as we read through Exodus we're reading with that anticipation. We're reading with that anticipation that they were anticipating one that is to come that would bring restoration to righteousness and justice because they obviously are not doing a very good job at it, even though they are the ones called to do it. So one more thing I want to say, and then I'll close with prayer. Um, ah, I lost my train of thought. Um, Oh, yes. This one was really, I'm so glad it came back to me. I want you to see one more thing, because now we're about to go into Exodus, which is one of the most powerful books in the Bible. But in Exodus, we're going to see the story of the children of Israel being delivered from exile and being restored and brought back to, to the land of Canaan. Abraham, by faith, was promised land, Canaan. Abraham was in Canaan. Joseph came to Egypt to prepare for the famine in which the children of Israel would come to Egypt to wait out and to be restored so that they can go back to Canaan. I want you to notice something here. Israel left Canaan, his land, to go to Egypt because, again, of the um, the famine. But Israel had no intentions of staying in Egypt. I hope you guys noticed that. So much so that Israel said, do not bury me here. Don't bury me here. Take me back 
to the land of my fathers. The land that was given to us, the land that was promised to us. Canaan was promised, not Egypt. Egypt, stay with me, family, and I know I'm going to further unpack this uh, tomorrow. Egypt was a temporary place where we can find some rest during this time of famine. But Egypt was not meant to be the place where we stayed. We weren't meant to stay in Egypt because Egypt was not our land. Israel asked to be buried back to where his father was buried. That's exactly right. Goshen was not home. Goshen was temporary. And notice what Jacob, what Joseph says right at the end. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel. Verse 25. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. Joseph knew he was going to die in Egypt, but Joseph knew he wasn't going to stay in Egypt. Joseph knew he was going to die in Egypt, but he knew that his people would not stay in Egypt. And so Joseph instructed them and said, Do you, you might bury me here, but make sure when you leave this place, take my bones and bring it back to the land that was promised to us. What am I saying, family? What I'm saying to you is, is this is not it. It might seem comfortable because there was a famine, but when the famine is over, you got to get up and go. When the famine is over, don't overstay your welcome. When the famine is over, go. Leave. This was meant to be a temporary situation. Don't make it a permanent one. Because when you make temporary situations permanent, they lead to all kinds of other issues. And we're going to see that in Exodus chapter 1. The bloodline matters. And we're going to see how God creates a nation out of a family. He calls this nation and this nation fails. But yet God's promises still continue through this nation. That through this nation will come the one who will restore all things. And to make all things new. God bless you guys. Father, we thank you. Lord, as we come before you, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that we would be reminded today, Lord, that you had it all planned from the beginning. And Lord, that your people now have received the word. Lord, that you are restoring through them and that, Lord, through them and, and that, that your righteousness and your justice would be established. Lord, not by their doing, but Lord, by the anointing that you've put on them, Lord. The calling and the promise that began first from Abraham to Isaac to Israel and now will propagate through his children. Father, we thank you that, Lord, by your grace, we become recipients of that promise. Lord, allow us to see, Lord, the work that you are doing and the story that you're writing. But as we continue to read in your word and we say that in your name, we pray. Amen and amen.